Hey, welcome to The Scrum, WGBH's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley with Peter Kadzis. Peter, hello. Hello. In this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Both Peter and I recently spent a few days on vacation. So we are collectively catching up with some big stories that took place while we were gone. I was gone, by the way, last week, Peter, a couple days this week, trying to make sense of some headlines that we haven't had a chance to talk about together yet. Peter, are you, before we get started, are you fully recharged and reinvigorated from your days off? Uh, not really. <laughs> well, I'm I'm reinvigorated. I, I just haven't made the transition very effectively. I got to say, it is a tougher transition as I get older. You spend a chunk of time away, and for me at least, it's it's increasingly difficult to come back and get in the swing of things, as you have seen from my that you is know, true. Arrivals some mornings. Yeah. Yeah, right. you were definitely keeping country club hours this morning. <laughs> All right. On to what we are actually here to talk about, which is the various stories that went down while we were gone that we want to size up. But before we talk about what we had missed, I want to bring up something that happened today. Charlie Baker unveiled <laughs> the new Orange Line cars, long-awaited source of great excitement by Orange Line uh, or among Orange Line riders. Great big photo op. He's tweeting about how cool it is that these new cars are here. I thought, perfect opportunity for Charlie Baker to hop on the tee and ride it. And no one has to say anymore that Charlie Baker never rides the tee. Instead, the governor doesn't ride these wonderful new trains. He just gets out of Dodge. Why in God's name did he not take advantage of this opportunity to ride the T? I just assume he's an Uber guy. <laughs> um, you know, whether he rode it or not, he'd get slammed one way or the other. You know, myself, if I were governor, which thank God I'm not, I would have ridden them. But um, if he had ridden them, he'd be attacked for only now riding the train. Yeah, that's true. Or, or then he'd be attacked for sure. Ride the brand new cars. You don't ride. Ah, the, good point. You don't ride the commuter rail. So you know, Baker has been governor long enough now that whatever he does is wrong, and um, so he's probably better off doing nothing. And like I said, I suspect he's an Uber guy. All right, let's turn our attention now to something much more serious, which was the sweep. I know Mayor Marty Walsh balked at having it called a sweep, but it was in fact called Operation Clean Sweep, that uh, his own police department conducted along the so-called Methadone Mile uh, in Boston a few days back, rounding up individuals, some of whom apparently are believed to be drug dealers, some of whom may simply be users of illicit drugs. This got a ton of pushback, including from City Councilor Michelle Wu, who retweeted a picture of wheelchairs being crushed by a garbage truck during the sweep and added this commentary. This image represents a cruelty that government should try to stop, not carry out. The stories from advocates remind me of how the closure of the Long Island Bridge happened, people in need being displaced, destabilized, and stigmatized. What's your take on what just went down on Methadone Mile? Well, the optics were horrible, and this is about more than optics, but the image of the wheelchair being crushed in a garbage truck, um, you know, just not good, not, not good politics. And in a re-election campaign, which 
presumably the mayor will be engaged in in two years. That's a potential visual for a negative ad. But that aside, this is a very complicated issue. I drive by so-called methadone mile several times a week. And lately, it's gotten to be you know, pretty hair-raising. It's the sort of thing when you have kids in the car, kids make sure the doors are locked or, you know, you lock them with the parent lock and stuff. Um, This is not to excuse the way it went down, but it's a bad place. It's a dangerous place. I don't know what the answer is. And let's not forget, it is worth noting that this sweep came after a um, a guard— I'm glad you brought that up. The jail was, you know, attacked pretty brutally with an iron pipe. Listen, there's there's drug dealing that goes on there in the open air. I mean, I've seen myself there, tents pitched in, you know, three sets of legs in the tents arranged in positions that don't leave much to the adult imagination. You're talking sex or drug use here? Um, Sex. Got it. Um, I remember vividly now many years ago when this was first brought to the mayor's attention, he was rather dismissive. The problem was in its early days, and he might have been still smarting from criticism about closing Long Island. Um, he was new to the job, and I don't think he knew how to roll with the punches as well as he has since learned. I don't think anyone can accuse the mayor of not working very hard to deal with homelessness, to deal with addiction. No one has an easy answer about this. And I have to say, where's the governor in all this? Now, it happens in the city of Boston, and I don't mean the sweep itself, but I've heard figures as high as 90% of some of the addicts in the streets of Boston are from outside of Boston. And that's something that the mayor has noted frequently. Yes, and it's a, it's a valid point. We're the big city. We're the place with the resources. What can the governor do? I don't know. Maybe one thing he could do is issue a statement saying he's in favor of reopening you know, rebuilding the Long Island Bridge. I think this could be a good time to draw a line in the sand and to say to the mayor of Quincy, look, this is a statewide problem. We need this bridge open. Let me ask you on that note, uh, I was looking at the ending homelessness page on martywalsh.org today. And he made a point in or makes a point there talking about the Long Island Bridge closure. He says that, you know, it it wasn't really an option, that the bridge was literally falling down, had to be closed. And he talks about the new status quo, says the city has replaced the treatment beds that were available on Long Island. And, And Walsh goes on to add, now, instead of being out of sight and out of mind, our neighbors in need of services are closer to community supports and more connected to long-term solutions. This is a theme that the mayor has hit repeatedly. Now they're here. They can get help. We have to see them and reckon with them. Is it fair to say that that this sweep shows the, I guess, inadequacy of that formulation? Because these people, yeah, they're, they're here, and we see them, and they can get help potentially, but they're also 
at ground zero for the opioid epidemic in Massachusetts. They're not away from temptation, not to moralize what's a medical problem, but they're not, they're not removed from dealers, for example. They are staying right where their problem can be exacerbated. Well, I don't know. I think that that was an, I've always thought that was an overly optimistic gloss that the mayor put on it. Few politicians are good at taking criticism or dealing with negativity. Closing the bridge was not the mayor's fault. But he declined to recognize any of the, the, the bad news that accompanied that. That's I'm, a perfect way to put it. This isn't my fault, and it's also actually a good thing. You know, it's a dicey issue. That was then. This is now. There's another aspect here, Adam, that no one's really talking about yet, and that's the old Shattuck Hospital uh, by Morton Street, by Franklin Park. That would be a location that the addicted and the homeless could be relocated to or have a treatment center set up there. Now, Park advocates for years have been working to get that space back into, um, you know, greenery. People in Jamaica Plain, where I live, are going to run. There's going to be the same sort of opposition or some of the same sort of opposition if if treatment centers were set up there. Boston is ground zero for this. All right, let me ask you about something else big on the city level that happened while I was gone. Ken Brissett and Timothy Sullivan the mayor's cabinet members, heads of tourism and intergovernmental affairs, respectively, being found guilty in the Boston Calling trial. What do you make of the outcome, and what do you make of what it could mean politically for the mayor? I was a little bit surprised, but I was not shocked. It, it seemed pretty clear to me that these guys did what they were accused of doing. It's a question of how much criminality is involved. Um, Harvey Silverglate, you know, uh, has written on WGBHnews.org that um, these federal statutes are are way too broad. Um, And Harvey makes the argument that this conviction, that that this is political behavior that shouldn't be criminalized. I'm sympathetic to that. Again, this whole incident happened early on in Walsh's reign, and I think it was handled in a very keystone cop sort of manner. There would have been nothing wrong if the mayor had said, or City Hall had issued a policy, that all for-profit concerts on Boston City Hall Plaza will use union labor or will use X percent union labor or something along those yeah. lines. You know, to put the squeeze on these guys at the last minute is, you know, pretty gaff, as we might have said in Dorchester. Is it worth going to jail for a gazillion years and pay up to a $250,000 fine? I don't think so. And the... I think it's very unclear at the moment what the implications politically are going to be for the mayor. Look, um, if you're pro-labor or if you're a labor progressive, the mayor comes off as a stand-up guy, even though he's had to put a little distance there. 
Um, it's still very unclear. There's an outside chance. I, I, I think that the, the judge could um, vacate the ruling and, and say, look, for these legal reasons, the jury was wrong. It'll be appealed. Uh, again, Harvey thinks that this is a, a case that could have what it takes to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. The reason Harvey thinks this is because the Supreme Court has been tightening up on what they've considered to be loosey-goosey federal prosecutions aimed at political corruption. There's a lot of question marks. Is it fair Let's to put say, it, oh, it's, it's not good news, though. Is it fair to say that Politically speaking, this is unlikely to hurt the mayor if, say, he's challenged by Michelle Wu uh, in the next mayoral election and more likely to hurt him if down the road he, say, runs for governor of Massachusetts. I don't know. And, and I wouldn't dismiss this. Um, I, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I wouldn't dismiss its impact in, in two years. As for governor or something like that, I really don't know. All right. Elizabeth Warren, who, as you may know, is running for president of the United States, recently became, I think for a fleeting time, the odds-on favorite at the website predictit.org to win the Democratic nomination. I wasn't familiar with Predictit before. I knew it was a way of betting on things that might or might not happen. And basically, uh, at a certain point in time, Warren was the most expensive bet. If you put down 28 cents uh, saying that she was going to win and if she ended up winning, uh, you would make a dollar uh, off of your bet or your wager, as opposed to lesser tier candidates who you could wager on winning the nomination for a much, much, much lower price. As of today, as of this taping, she is tied with Joe Biden as the most expensive bet. I think he got to uh, put down 27 cents to win a buck if she actually ends up becoming the nominee. But what do you make of this uh, quantitative validation of Warren's candidacy? What was the advertising campaign? The slogan said, you've come a long way, baby. <laughs> yeah, is that Virginia Slims? That's it, Virginia say? Slims, yeah. Um, Elizabeth Warren has come a long way. Now, that particular site is one I always reach for when I'm sort of desperate and looking for some, <laughs> some flashy number. But um, Warren's come a long way, and she's come a long way by having a plan and sticking to it. And she has confounded many people um, with how far she's come. She's had a plan. She's stuck to it. She's also, to my ear at least, been the most aggressive to embrace positions beloved by the left wing of her party. I mean, I'm thinking, for example, not just of her early call for impeachment, but of her recent tweet saying that uh, Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, was murdered by a police officer, which sparked a ton of pushback, but I think also probably had a lot of Democratic primary vote voters uh, nodding their heads. So she's had a plan. She's been methodical, and she's been very impassioned. All, all true, Adam. I, I, I think the the larger question, which applies specifically to Elizabeth Warren, but also to many of the Democrats other than Joe Biden, or, or to, to, to Harris, to Bernie Sanders, and to Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren, um, I'm not sure anyone else at the moment really matters. Um, will they be going too far to the left for a general election 
um, yeah. for the general election. We'll have to see. But the point is, Warren went from no Isville to, you know, being right at the top in with a long way left to go. Um, she strikes me as having the discipline to, to keep going. One thing that, that I failed to mention when we were talking about all the things she's done right is, as you know, if you watch her, she is actually a really good in-person retail campaigner, which is something I think people in Massachusetts tend to lose sight of. Well, do you think so? I mean, people... yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, you're right. Maybe not people in Massachusetts. Maybe the elite media tends to lose sight of that, to look at her her sort of uh, her resume, look at the fact that she's a, a Harvard professor who lives in Cambridge and and conclude that she's sort of a, a denizen of the ivory tower who can't get out and talk to normal people. You're well, right. You're right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Although edit. in Massachusetts, I still hear and I'm, I'm restricting myself to quoting just women um, who like Warren, but still wonder, well, does she come off as too much of a school mom? That's the phrase I hear most often. And to clarify or to, to uh, reiterate, this is from women. This is from women. However, I, what I say back is, you know, I think you're right, but she's become more comfortable in that persona. Um, she's very authentic. I mean, you know, I wish you'd knock off the drinking the bad light beer, but um, she's she's grown increasingly comfortable in her own skin, in her own persona. Yeah, and the, the light beer thing is a great point, because that was a few months ago, if memory serves. And I can't think of another thing that she's done that's left me thinking, oh, come on, she's trying to be someone she isn't. No, and, you know, <laughs> that's fine, too. I mean, it's we in the press have to find something to pick yeah, at, right. and that's probably what I was just doing. Uh, speaking of that, let's get back to picking at the person. We started off picking on Governor Charlie Baker. Two things I want to ask you about. First off, there was the big traffic study that the Baker administration released, I want to say, a week ago? Congestion. Conge thank, thank you. <laughs> uh, what was your take on... Maybe the timing of that release, but more important, the ideas contained in it. Uh, anything for people like me who bitch and moan all the time about my drive-in to get excited about? Well, if you had any doubt things were bad, it's in black and white. It's official. We are congested up the wazoo. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about the report. I think we were all, speaking only for myself, I think I was hoping for too much. Mm -hmm. I thought there might be some master blueprint on how to make things better. Um, there isn't. It's a classic Charlie Baker document, very nuts and bolts. Um, Tinker around the edges as opposed to some great big moonshot fix. Yeah, but then the more I've thought about it, where does the money come from for a moonshot fix? I think the governor could risk to show a little more imagination. And by that, I mean to have had a three-page appendix to this report saying, look, we've tried to, we're, we've stuck to the nuts and bolts here. But looking ahead, here are some things that we should seriously be thinking of doing. And here, by the way, are the price tags that go with that. That's a good idea. Um, that's what I'd like. That's what I'd like as a citizen. I don't know what the political calculations would be there. You know, does he get slammed for doing that? Or slammed? The timing to me is a no-brainer, you know. 
I suppose it's probably innocent. It was probably done at that point. But it was sort of released in the, the doldrums of the summer. It's not going to go away. Uh, it, it'll come back. It'll it be will. debated. It um, One thing, by the way, that I liked that the governor floated was this idea of, I'm trying to remember the term of art, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but dedicated lanes or lanes in which at any hour of the day you could pay a fee buck, two bucks, three bucks, to travel in what presumably would be a faster lane, which, based on the reading I've done, is something that could improve traffic for the people who have the means to do that and also for the people who either don't have the means or opt not to. Just a way of creating two tiers, but not in a way. You know, there's been a lot of talk of congestion pricing, charge people for driving in at peak hours, make it cheaper to drive in at off-peak hours. Something I've always felt has been undersold there is that you have some people going into service jobs who don't make a lot of money, who don't have the luxury of deciding, oh, I'm going to travel at off-peak hours. And this idea of the governor's seems to be a way of working around that and maybe achieving something similar. It might. Um, I'll admit I was personally a little skeptical. I was skeptical largely because it was something I hadn't thought of before. And you know, those of us in the media, you know, we've got fat heads if we haven't thought about it before. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, to me, the report just documents a problem. I think that's fine. There is there is a lot of nitty-gritty stuff about better coordinations with cities and towns and all of that. And, and you know... Higher well, fees for Uber and Lyft, right? Um, yeah. I mean, Uber, which isn't making any money at all, let's charge higher fees there so they can go bankrupt even earlier. This this problem with traffic is not going to go away overnight. It, it's the value of this report is we've got it in black and white and how bad it is. Now what do we do? Finally, Governor Baker uh, was depicted in a lovely photo sent out by Vice President Mike Pence recently, who rolled into Nantucket for a fundraiser hosted by. RNC chair, is it Rona McDaniel? I think I've got that right. Used to have Romney featured prominently in her name as she's become a, a Trump acolyte. Romney has sort of disappeared. Uh, niece of, of Mitt Romney, grandson of George Romney. Anyway, the vice president came here for this RNC fundraiser, which obviously is going to boost President Trump. Uh, Baker met him at the airport, apparently did not go on to the fundraiser on Nantucket guess they talked about trade, uh, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade pact, also apparently about Vineyard Wind. Uh, is there a negative for Governor Baker in being pictured looking pretty happy uh, as he stands on the runway in Nantucket saying hi to Mike Pence and the second lady of the United States? Well, sure there's a negative. I, I mean, um, in Democratic Massachusetts, there's always an a negative. I mean, it's bad enough that Baker's a Republican himself. So, you know, there's only one person in the world worse than the vice president that Baker could appear with. And, you know, that that's President Trump, you know, when everyone's in the Democratic State Committee, their heads would explode. This was an important thing to do. One, it's business as usual. It's protocol. He's the governor of the state. Pence is the vice president. You act professionally and you mean it. You don't go to the fundraiser because you don't approve of their policies. But what you do want is you want an answer. You want a yes answer on Cape Wind. And the, the Trump administration 
you know, has make or break power on yeah. that. So um, Governor Baker was not only being polite, he was playing good politics, um, in good politics in the policy sense, and he was representing the, the taxpayers of Massachusetts very well. He did his job. Everything you say makes complete sense. I should point out the governor has appeared with uh, uh, Vice President Pence at a Patriots game before. There's also, I think, been one occasion on which Pence came to town and he didn't see him. Let me ask you a closing question. Again, I agree with everything you've said. If it had been President Trump rolling into town on Air Force One, do you think Governor Baker would have stuck to protocol and greeted him at the airport? I don't know. You know I don't like hypotheticals. I know. I love you them. know I don't like hypotheticals. Um, I don't know. All right. Uh, anything we missed or does that cover it? I think those are the big things on my list, which is pretty close to your list. Yeah. The only thing I had forgotten that you, you brought up was this um, this greeting Pence. Um, I think that's it. All right. And whether there are more or not, I think I'm talked out. I'm talked out as well. Peter Kadzis, thank you for doing this with me as always. And thank you for doing this with me as always. The pleasure is mine. Thanks also to you for taking the time to listen. We would love it if you subscribed to The Scrum, if you haven't already, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Also, if you can, please leave a review so that more people will hear us. We'd also like to hear from you with any comments or pushback that you might have. I'm on Twitter at Riley Adam. Peter is at Kadzis. You can get us by email at scrum at wgbh.org. We get crucial production help from Andrew Masawa, Gary Mott, Doug Shugarts, and John Parker. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.